Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is blessing stuff. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles and crochet hook and join us. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzelow, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Dawn Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so we're talking about blessing things, partly because Blessing of the Animals is coming up this Sunday. Yep. And if you're interested, three years ago, <laughs> so crazy, yeah, we did an entire podcast on St. Francis and Blessing of the Animals. We did. And but you can find that. Yes. You can only find it on our website, though, because iTunes only goes back 100. There you go. And we're running up close to 200 episodes. Yes, we are. And so you can find that. That's at centralportland.org. And if you click on the weekly podcast link and head on back into the archives and you can find the end of September of 2016 is where you will find the episode on St. Francis and the Blessing of the Animals. Excellent. In addition, we also talked Blessing of Unions last week. We did. So now we're going to talk about blessing things in general. Yeah. People get interested or fascinated when it comes time to bless an animal. How do you come up with or how do you how do you bless something? Like is that? there a right way? If there is, I don't know it. Okay. Is there a wrong way? If there is, you don't know that either? Probably. I mean, I think that the wrong way would be in a way that offends the person receiving. Oh, well, that makes sense. Right. Either receiving or asking for it. Like, if you offend them, then probably that blessing isn't all that great. Is there a class? Like, no. in seminary, no? I wish there was, but really? there's not. There's no, like, here's the steps, you need this, this, and this. Not really. At least not in my training, there wasn't. In our Word and Sacrament class, they talk you through general liturgy and general things like that. And they show you where you can get some resources. But they don't give you, like, A, B, and C. Here's the formula for how you do a blessing. Wow. You do blessings all the time. Where did you learn? I make it up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well done, because it's not noticeable on my end. Here's the confession. (laughs) Nice. Follow the prep of the spirit. I think there's a couple things that we can think of as being useful kind of formulas or tips or tricks. Okay. There are blessings in our official liturgical documents. Okay. What are we talking here? The Lutheran Book of Worship? Yeah. Okay. The ELW, Evangelical Lutheran Worship, right? So the Cranberry Hymnal has some stuff. If you look at the general kind of formula of a blessing, you can find that in the baptismal rite. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Right. There's a blessing there. Affirmation of baptism, adult affirmation of baptism. There's a bit of a formula there. Those are kind of the places and spaces where I've seen them and then modeled based off of them. Okay. But it's hard. It's not an easy thing to just come up with. And you find seminarians asking about this a lot, especially when it comes to like, how do you bless a child in the communion line? Mm -hmm. What do you say? How do you do it? And there really is no guide. No? No. Is this something that came up in the Bible or it came up in the early church or we kind of come across because we made it up without even really noting it? That's a great question. I would have a guess that it's probably much older even than Christian faith. Blessing and sanctifying and setting apart holy space or holy ground or holy objects. I think we see plenty of examples in the Hebrew scriptures of them raising an Ebenezer, raising an altar in the desert of a certain place where a certain event happened and okay. placing stones to kind of set it aside as a holy ground, a, okay. a marker of sorts. So I think it's something that we do, 
naturally as a people that we want to bless things. There is like a house blessing ritual in our pastoral care book okay, where you can use it to do a blessing. And there is the blessing of the Christ candle for the year that has a bit of a formula to it. And that can be found within our liturgical books. Okay. So you can find those kind of resources to take a look at them and model them after in the same way that the creeds are Trinitarian. And so you can look at a creed and say, you should have something about God as a creator, and you should have something about God and the story of Jesus, and you should have something about God and the Holy Spirit and baptism and communion of saints. And that is going to make up your creed in the same way you can take a look and say, you should have some kind of invoking of the Holy Spirit or invoking of God and a prayer of either protection or hallowing to make holy Mm -hmm. or prayers of protection, depending upon what they're being asked for, those kinds of things. Those are kind of the elements of what people are looking to hear when they're hearing those blessings. So is this something that people more often come to you and say, I would like this blessed or you to bless this for me? Or is this you go to other people and say, I know that you're hitting this transition in your life and I would like to bless you? It's a both and. Okay. I'd say a lot of times people come and ask for blessings and that's awesome. There are times when someone says, you know, we're leaving the community again for many months. We'll be gone for a while. Oh, well, can we bless your departure? Can we send you on your way? Mark that occasion. Or, you know, you're headed off to college and you don't want a big scene made of it. So I'll find you in the back of the sanctuary and I'll do a blessing with you and your sister and your sister's friend while no one's looking. Sure. Right. Whatever works. (laughs) And that kind of a marking of a change in a time is something that can be asked for, can be requested, or can be offered The times that I most frequently am approached for them, communion rail, we bless folks at the communion rail. I do a lot of blessings at Pride Okay. during sacred space, a lot of animal blessings during the Pride Festival. House blessings when people move into new homes, house blessings can sometimes be a thing people request, or if I hear about them moving in, I can offer pre-surgery prayers and blessings. Sure. That kind of a thing. So it's kind of all mixed part and parcel. So there's no real statute of limitations on what can be blessed. No, not that I've been made aware of. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what you're telling me is there isn't even really a set blessing ritual for the lack of a better term. Yeah. You go with it. You trust the Holy Spirit in the moment and you go with it. There might be other people who have better training than I do, I guess, but... In my experience, that's how it rolls. Interesting. Now, is this something that only you who have been ordained can do? Or can anybody bless things? Aside from your, I sneezed and somebody says, bless you. (laughs) Well, I think that's a great example. I think that we can bless each other indiscriminately if we chose. I think that people definitely look toward leaders who have been formally set apart to do that kind of work. So since I have been formally set apart as a clergy person, Mm -hmm. then people expect me to be able to do that kind of work and for it to have special meaning to them. And that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong in that. I think it's also very possible for people to do their own kind of praying for a thing or a place or a person and trust that the Holy Spirit and God listen to their invoking of them. 
and that that is efficacious. Big fancy word for that works. Okay. That has spiritual import to have done that. So, I mean, I don't want to put myself out of a job, but at the same time, <laughs> priesthood of all believers. Yeah, we can all do this stuff. Okay. But that, that is unique, I think. I mean, that's Lutheran theology. Oh, that makes right? sense. I don't know that Roman Catholic would agree with that, right? The blessing of a priest or the blessing of a bishop or the blessing of a pope have a different level of import in the Roman Catholic Church than necessarily in the Lutheran. Okay. Do you take a slightly different approach when you're blessing a thing or a person? Yes, totally do. I okay. think, and it also though depends upon what the thing is and the level of import. So a good example on this one is that the communion rail before a little one takes communion and their parents want them just to receive a blessing because I defer to the parent's choice on this as to when children begin to take communion. My stock blessing at the communion rail for everyone, regardless of age, is you are a beloved child of God. May you know this this day and every day. I've been using it for almost 15 years now, so that's just my stock blessing. I may add a little more onto it, depending upon what I know of that person's situation. Sure. But that's my basic blessing. There are a few little ones who, during the years in which they have a lovey, That is super, super duper important to them. Okay. And for those who may not quite catch that, that's going to be some sort of stuffed animal or blanket or something. Yep, exactly. Some kind of a soft item that helps them to know that they are loved. Yes. Think Linus and his security blanket. Exactly. So you've got a little one with their lovey and they show up at the communion rail and they hold it out to receive a blessing. Oh. And especially when it's a stuffed animal or a creature that to them, like it, there are a couple of them that I would see them with a particular love item for, you know, a year. Yeah, now we're in a Calvin and Hobbes territory. Right. So this is something, and having been the youngest Uh (laughs) and my siblings being the same age for one week, so many people thought they were twins, so they were really close. My stuffed animals were my friends and close companions. Oh, sure. They meant a lot to me. So I have a lot of compassion for little ones with those kinds of love items. And so this is this whole question, like, do you do the same blessing for a person and for a thing? Uh huh. Well, when it's a little one who's just heard their blessing, (laughs) and then this is their special partner Uh and who gives them love and affection, right? What I say is not that you are a beloved child of God. I will say you are a beautiful creation of God. Oh, okay. May this be known instead of may you know this. May this be known this day and every day. It just twists it just enough that I'm not giving personhood to a stuffed animal. Sure. But I am recognizing the God gift of this comfort item for this beloved child of God. And then when the little ones have started taking communion in that transitional time, sure, they might still bring that loved item with them. And so they'll take communion and then hold it out for a blessing. And so I'll still do the same. You are a beloved creation of God. Sure. May this be known this day and every day. So that the pattern of the blessing and the pattern of the affirmation remain the same in the child's head and in the child's experience of God and welcome at the communion rail. So that's just one example. I think when I'm blessing a person, I try to use what I know of their story to bless them personally. Mm -hmm. 
when I'm blessing an item, I try to use the relationship of the person with the item to form the blessing. That makes sense. So if I'm blessing car keys, yeah, right, I'm going to try to bless the relationship of the new teenage driver to the car keys. Sure. I'm not necessarily making the car keys holy. <laughs> no. Right. That's and, and not my objective. Maybe a little something in there for the parents going right? through it as well. That's exactly <laughs> it. Like it's not about making the car keys holy. It's about wrapping God's presence around this new experience of responsibility and freedom and danger and partnership sure. for this family in this new phase. That's what it's really about. That's what we're really asking God to be present within. So when we're doing a blessing, we're asking God to be present within something and to be present with something. And so it's not necessarily about the object. It's about the experience and the time and what's going on with it. Sure. So that's how I kind of do that. You know, I'm thinking as we're talking about this, have we done, I'm sure we've done a podcast on baptism. Yes. Sometimes in this last three and a half years that we've been doing this. And did we talk about the signing of the senses there and like the blessing of the person? We did. And I was actually going to ask you, where does anointing come into this? Because that's part of what you're getting at, isn't it? Yeah. The kind of anointing thing is all part of that blessing. Like it's another level of blessing. Okay. And when we start anointing, then we're starting to bring in another element. Mm -hmm. If we're just blessing something, it's just prayer and word. When we're anointing, we're bringing oil or water into the mix. And that is just another... It doesn't make it more holy or less holy? It depends upon the experience of the individual, I think. Okay. For some folks, it absolutely makes it feel more holy. I don't know if it's actually more efficacious. I don't know if God is like, whoa, wait, I was listening to your prayer, Hold but the there's phone. oil over there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> right? Like... Uh, I don't think that God really goes like that, but it, I think that it changes our experience of the blessing. That's fair. When another element is introduced to it. So when oil is a part of the healing prayer and you have a prayer and then you have an anointing with oil, I think the experience of it is a gift. And part of that is, is that you feel the oil longer. That makes sense. Right. And you feel it on your forehead. And so it adds that bodily experience to receiving the blessing that can really be a wonderful thing. But it doesn't necessarily matter what you're anointing with, be it water, oil, ashes, anything. I think that in some traditions, it absolutely matters. Okay. But I for think, the ELCA church, not so much? I don't think so. And okay. there would be some who would argue with me on that. Okay. But the reason why I have made shifts within my ministries as to what I anoint with is because of so many allergies oh, well, and things like that. Sadly, that does make sense. Right. I love holy chrism. Holy chrism is a special oil that is created the week of Holy Week between Palm Sunday and before Maundy Thursday. Okay. And it's created and passed out during that week at temples and at cathedrals. There are rites to affirm the ordination okay. for individuals who are ordained. And it's kind of like a renewal of vows. Okay. And so those events happen in some places around the world. And the bishops consecrate oil at those services and then pass it out for use through the year. Okay. 
And oftentimes, chrism is fragranced. And there are different recipes for fragranced chrism. Okay. And I had a container of chrism when I got here. A friend had gone to Seattle's service because there is a service during Holy Week at, I think, one of the Episcopalian cathedrals, I think think that makes sense have a have a holy service of vow renewal for the ordained and then holy chrism gets passed out and so a friend picked up a bottle for me uh-huh and i used it for the first year or two it it was a lot of oil okay <laughs> and it eventually did not get used up but the fragrance was so strong that can be a problem for some people exactly my best friend is highly scent sensitive highly, highly, and it'll lock her down for days. Wow. And so I've just become aware that I don't know who's in the room and how my, ooh, this smells pretty, could impact the rest of their week. Sure. And so I've erred on the side of not using chrism anymore and going with just extra virgin olive oil. Sometimes folks have said, well, you could use almond oil or you could use, but we don't know who has a nut allergy. Sure. And so that can't be used. You can't use water and ash because that turns into lye. That's oh, an acid. That's fun. Right? Thanks, chemistry. So, <laughs> right. So when Ash Wednesday comes around, everybody's really clear with the new clergy. Like yes. mix the ash Please. with oil. Yeah. Mix the ash with oil, not with water. You can burn people. And every pastor probably has their own personal ash mix with yep. oil and how soupy we like it or how dry we like it. I err on the side of dry. Thank you. But oil is just, it's a fascinating piece to add into the service. And I will confess that there have been a couple of baptisms where I've forgotten to bring the oil out. Yeah. And so I've used water to do the, you are marked with the cross of Christ. Uh huh. Oh, don't tell me it didn't mean as much to you. Because I don't think the other person would notice. It means the same to me. Okay. Right. But again, if there are purists in the room, they could be very frustrated that the oil anointing didn't happen. But if I don't have the chance to ask, yeah, I err on the side of safety oh. now. No, that makes perfect sense. So that's my thing. You know, if you have someone that you know can do scent and can do oil... To do a scented oil, it gives the experience of the blessing multiple layers. Sure. You hear it, you feel it, and you smell it. Well, I think it's the whole reason that incense was introduced into the equation. Yeah. It just brings it on a whole, like just another additional level. And this from someone who can't be in the room with incense. <laughs> well, there I, you go. It's beautiful, but I can't be in the room with it. But it's a wonderful piece or element that can be used, but doesn't have to be. Sure. A blessing is still good <laughs> if it doesn't have oil to it. All right. So say you get all excited and you start blessing everything <laughs> in everyone. Left and right. Does it lose its meaning if you overbless things? <laughs> Is it less special? That's a good question. It's kind of like people who were accustomed to receiving communion once a month uh -huh. or twice a year ask the same question when communion became more frequent within congregations. We're having it all the time. Does it give it less meaning? Oh, that is fascinating coming from a Catholic background where if you don't have it, it right, you're out of Yeah. <laughs> right. So my response 
typically when that kind of a question comes up is, does it mean any less when you tell your child every single day that you love them? Mm -hmm. Do you only tell your spouse that you love them once a year so that it doesn't have any... Doesn't lose doesn't that lose something, its something. Right, mm -hmm. right. I think that for some, they may say, oh, well, that's a blessed book. Yet another blessed book and another blessed book. Ugh, everything you do, like they could mock it. Sure. God is already infused in everything. Is it bad to pay attention and to be aware of that? I don't think it is. And so in that sense... I could see how people would be like, well, there's no purpose if you're blessing everything. If nothing is consecrated and set aside, then what's the purpose? Mm -hmm. Well, that's kind of the point. Nothing is consecrated and put aside. God is in everything, <laughs> everywhere. And let's pay attention to that. And if you think that blessing indiscriminately is going to make a blessing worthless, well, then read the parable of the sower who just throws seeds everywhere and doesn't care. Mm-hmm. God is kind of indiscriminate in God's blessings. So there is a precedent for not caring and just throwing blessings all over the place. Excellent. All right. That's going to lead me to my last question. What is the favorite thing that you have blessed through all the years? A goat. A goat. During the Pride Festival. Oh, man. I was hoping it was that chicken from a couple of years ago. I do love getting to have blessed that chicken. So there was a there was the chicken during St. Francis my first year here mm -hmm. and that was pretty awesome. Posted mm -hmm. that on my Facebook feed again today because it comes up and it was like 5 years ago. Here's Very Portland. The chicken, right? I loved that. But it was at Pride and the couple had their goats on leashes. Oh man, tell me they were cute little pygmy goats they or something. They were adorable. <laughs> they were awesome little goats and they were so sweet. And so wonderful. And I just hopped out of the tent and said, can I bless your goats? Nice. <laughs> so, and happily, they didn't refuse. No, they, they laughed at me and said, sure. I said, well, what kind, of, what kind of blessing would these goats need for the year? What would be helpful for them? <laughs> so that's my it's question. So Portland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I love that. That was pretty great. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about blessing stuff. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And I will say to you, do not be afraid. If you have something special or precious, go put your hands over it and pray for God to be present within that creation and know that you can bless the many things in your life. Until we are back in your ears again, remember... God loves you, no matter what. <laughs>